0: Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Writers Toolshed. I'm your host, Richie Billing. And today I'm delighted to bring an interview with the very successful indie author, Michael R. Miller. Michael has uh, recently released his latest book called Defiant. And over the years, he's achieved tremendous success, both with audio books um, and ebooks and paperbacks. And he's just been doing all this himself with a team that he put together. It's a fantastic conversation. And if you're someone who wants to go down the indie route too then you're going to learn an awful lot before we get to it though just a quick reminder to subscribe or to follow the show just so you don't miss any future episodes and the next episode that we've got coming up is an interesting one it's halloween obviously at the end of the month and with this episode coming out on the 28th we're going to do a halloween special and gonna take a look all at monsters and this is something i've been wanting to do for a long time but i needed to find the right person to talk to about it and i was lucky to find that person and that's coming up on the 28th it's also going to be the last episode of the series we will be taking a short break till the new year but then we'll be back and we've got lots of interesting things in the pipeline so don't worry there's plenty to listen to anyway i was looking back the other day and didn't really appreciate how many episodes we've actually done so it might be on for a record the longest second season ever <laughs> if you'd like more than just uh, what you hear on this podcast then check out our writing community we meet on discord and it's a fantastic place to join weekly bi-weekly writing groups get help with beta reads discuss our ideas and one feature we've recently launched is first line uh, critique and first paragraph critique so If you're struggling with that opening line, it's, it's such an important one. I've been working for about a week, solidly on the opening line of something I'm working on at the minute. I understand the, uh, the difficulty and getting that feedback is really, really helpful. So if you want help with your opening lines and open, opening paragraphs, then check out the link in the description. You can also find a link to our Patreon page. If you want to get the likes of writing classes, books, guides, all with a focus on writing fantasy, then check out Patreon. There's loads of stuff there, and there's tiers for everybody. Now it's time to get on with the show, and I'm delighted to introduce Michael R. Miller. I'm delighted to be joined by Michael R. Miller, author of the Songs of Chaos series. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, Richie. Thanks for having me. Ah, oh, thanks very much for joining me. I know it's been an exciting and busy time for you at the at the minute with a new book out, Defiant. Do you want to tell us a bit about it?
1: Oh yes, yeah, sure. So, Defiant is book three in my Songs of Chaos series. Ah, uh, the series is a kind of big dragon rider epic, very much kind of with its initial inspirations coming from the likes of Eragon, but then I'm trying to put my own spin on things uh, with yeah. hard magic systems, taking inspiration from progression fantasy, in particular Will White's uh, Cradle series, amongst others, uh, and trying to sort of blend up that kind of cultivation, progression fantasy with a big old Dragon Rider epic, which is, in theory, ageless and can be enjoyed by sort of everyone. Uh, That's what I'm going for. And yeah, uh, yeah, the the launch of Book 3 has gone tremendously well. As I was just saying to you, like, audio is my bread and butter these days, but the audio books really just blew up even beyond my... Well, this expectations, so I, I'm i still a bit stunned still. It's still in the same month, so I'm still sort of keeping an eye on it. And it's just like, it's been incredible. So I'm very happy with how things are going right now. Oh,
0: nice. Well, congr- Congratulations. And it's been a, a really widely read book as well, hasn't it? Have you sold over 300,000 copies of the series? Not that,
1: not that, no. So I've sold um, over 300,000 copies across my career. Um, yeah. It's more, it's something like 309,000 something at this point. Um, oh, nice. Defiant definitely blew over the edge into and, and the launch of that book really pushed over that 300,000 mark. Yeah. Songs of Chaos itself has now sold something like 130,000, 40,000 copies. And that's, you know, just the two books plus the third one's just come out. Um, my previous trilogy, The Dragon's Blade, has sold about 155,000, 60,000 copies, but Songs will very quickly blow past that and there's going to be two yeah. more books and songs. So it should it should keep growing. Um, I mean, I, if um, if one book on this one has sold 300,000, that would be <laughs> that would be another yeah. level, maybe yeah. one day. But um, for now, I'm pretty happy just to have hit that milestone. And yeah, keep my eye on the next one. See how far we can go.
0: Definitely. It's an incredible feat. And anyone who's, who's been involved in uh, writing will know how difficult it is to sell books. So it's really hats off to you. Congratulations. Hope it all goes Excellent. well for the, the next one as well. Uh,
1: exciting. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, you're on a bit of a roll. It would be a shame to <laughs> to end it at some point, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it can keep going. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, for the length, I can't, I can't work
1: a day job. I'm screwed. It's like, it's this or <laughs> nothing really.
0: Well, that's an interesting um, sort of segue to, So, next question is, how does it all begin? Where did you start with your writing and how, how did you sort of and
1: up where you are today. Sure, so um, apologies to anyone that's heard me waffle on about this before, but <laughs> um, I started writing what became the first book of The Dragon's Blade. I started writing that seriously when I was about 21. Um, I had, that was the idea that had been in my head since I was, you know, nine or 10, like most people, a lot of people have that kind of one idea. Um, I moved to London after university I did a history degree, so naturally, you don't know what you're going to do with that, um, and I kind of foolishly thought, oh, I'll go and do a law conversion course, because why not? It's either that or become a teacher, right? So <laughs> uh, <laughs> this this course is called the GDL, where they take the full three-year law degree in England and they smush it into one year, so it's really quite intense yeah so I kind of came down. as well so yeah i know the pain of that oh you did the, oh my god you did you do the full one like yeah the full I did three, three, years. three years and that was yeah, so for me and i take the three years and now mash it into one year oh my god <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was intense um so i was doing that i so i moved down to london uh you know knew no one started this course which is super intensive uh just and then a few other things in the personal life weren't going brilliantly at this time. So six months, you know, halfway through the course, I just had like I don't know a quarter life crisis or something. As I thought, I can't, I don't want to do this. It's, it's the one time I've really found it. I found it hard to get up in the morning. But some for some reason, I decided to turn back to that book idea and I just started writing it, despite the fact that I had this overwhelming amount of coursework to do. I just, I just sort of had to write it. Yeah. And so I, I wrote that book whilst I was doing the course and basically had absolutely no life for the, the whole time, but I got the book done and um, and, and it was, you know, looking back that first book, that version that first went out was was a little rough and of course it's going to be rough because yeah, I was 22 when I started at 23 when I finished it. Yeah. um, I released it late in uh, 2015. And the reason I went the indie route was because I knew it, could, it would come out then. So I knew it would yeah. come out if I did it. So if I had to go through the whole process of trying to get it traditionally published, odds are it wasn't going to happen. And I needed that drive of knowing this will happen yeah. to kind of get me through writing it and get me through that time in, in my life, which was a little bit, a little bit sucky, to put, put it mildly. But um, from, from there, I obviously started writing the second one and just sort of tried to find my feet. I worked some retail jobs. And then eventually I got into uh, Bloomsbury Publishing. Uh, That's the Harry Potter publisher in London, for those that don't know. I was just there essentially kind of, not quite, it was like a kind of entry role stuff, doing some data management work in the the marketing department. So it wasn't anything too crazy, but it it got me some insight because I was sitting in the marketing department there, or at least a portion of it. So I was kind of seeing what was happening. Yeah. Um, And it was around the end of that contract which was uh, initially seven, seven or eight months, um, that the second, the, the den I had two books out and at that point they started to pick up enough that I decided to try and just jump over and I'd been, I was wrapping up the third book and I just decided to just throw in with it and try and make it, try and capitalise on the little bit of momentum that was building and where yeah. and they really go for it. Um, it was also at that time that I'd met uh, Tara Maffer and Brooke Afton who, the three of us started uh, a publisher together called Portal Books, which focuses on, but well, focused initially on the RPG. They now focus mainly on progression, fantasy, cultivation—the sort of stuff that Ascendant is adjacent to. Um, so I couldn't do I couldn't do three things, so I decided to kind of come out of the kind of come out of work, which was which was definitely a risk. I mean, yeah, a few months of things working doesn't necessarily mean it's going to keep working. But the third book came out that helped, uh, and then I kind of had the big break late in 2018 when i put the initial dragon's blade trilogy into one box set yeah an ebook box set and that really took off now i think that the the key thing that i did at that point was i went back and i completely i didn't rewrite it from scratch but i heavily rewrote and edited the first book with the benefit of hindsight of having finished the the series and that that experience meant i could go back and improve it so it was the same story but better Right. And yeah. I, I mean, I could go back now and do the same thing and it would become better, but it might not, it's not really worth it, but you're always getting better, hopefully. So that was a really smart decision because I think when the box set then did go out, it was in the best shape. Like I didn't yeah. just, I didn't just sort of take it for granted that that first book was good enough. Um, so that was definitely worth it the time. And around this time, 2018 was the heyday of ebook box sets. Like, so the strategy was you would put the, your trilogy or your whatever series out, the whole thing for just ninety nine cents 99p yeah. um, and you lost lead sales so that you can get kindle Unlimited downloads and people will read the whole thing so on kindle unlimited if someone downloads the book you get paid money for every page of the book that they read and so if you if someone is downloading a free book box it it's like yeah. four hundred and fifty thousand words long in total that's a lot of pages yeah so even if there's a bunch of people buying it in 99 cents if you get enough people who just grab it for free in quotes on Kindle limited and they read the whole thing, yeah. you're earning as much money or more sometimes as if they just bought each book. So yeah. that was the strategy and it, it it was working really well in 2018 for a lot of people and for whatever reason, mine just seemed to work, it just seemed to work super well, like that box. It just, yeah. Went crazy, like it went to number ninety in all of Amazon, which was nonsense. Oh, like, yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> it was like number one. It was amazing. And then, and then, even though it started to come down, I once it kind of peaked, I was like, okay, it can't get any higher than ninety. I switched up the price back to two ninety nine to try yeah. and strike whether I am. So, and then it would, and then it came down gradually as as these things do. But it clung on, it clung on there tooth and nails So, it like, it, it just came down really, 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 really slowly. And all through that time when it was ranking very high. I was getting sales still, but I was also getting lots of KU reads. It was a big break moment and it was like, yeah. oh no, this is work, I can absolutely be full time here because That's this nice. is blowing the barn doors off compared to was happening <laughs> yeah. before. Um, yeah, and then in early 2019, I released a, a standalone lit RPG story called Battlespire, which did very well, burned bright as the sun for about two months and then fell away. That's kind of how those books work, but yeah. that was amazing just because it was such a fun book to write and the fact that it also did well just kind of kept that momentum going. I was like, okay, this is a, this is a, not a fluke now. Like if you can, yeah. I can really do this, this is my job. And then, and then yeah, I started writing what became Ascendant. It was meant to be smaller. It turned out a lot bigger <laughs> and uh, I'm still writing in that series to this day. <laughs> I've been working on Ascendant since songs of chaos since 2019 and still going. So nice. it's got a while yet to go. But it, but since that since that first break, everything's just kind of kept building and getting bigger and better. Um, yeah, it might not have. I mean, Ascendant being the first book in the new series could have tanked, and if it had, that would have reset things. But thankfully, it didn't, and things have kept going up. So, yeah, it's been been lucky, I guess. Been lucky to get that break when I did it. Yeah. Um, and it's an unusual way to go through. It's an unusual way to navigate it. Um. But yeah and then in 2020 the, the real magic that happened in 2020 for me I know COVID wasn't very magical but for some reason my audio books really took off at that point yeah and that take off of audio has been really really big it it meant that I didn't just most a lot of people tend to have like ebooks that work for them um and they might have audio working for them but they tend to have audio through a publisher
2: yeah
1: and um, even in these there's lots of studios that people can go to I would always done my own audio like you know, self-production, so like I hire in the rating and stuff, but I keep the rights and therefore keep the higher cut. Yeah. Um, and when that took off, it was like, oh no, there's two formats working. Like in this, you know, so it was just again another big transformative moment. Um, yeah. So that's that kind of takes us up. Uh, to it's, you. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's an amazing journey, and like you say, you you took the chance because that's what you wanted to do, and it's it's really sort of endearing to hear that it all worked out and that you you sort of just went for it, you know what I mean? You've got to try, haven't you?
1: I think you've got to try. I mean, there's that, does that worry that like, if if someone was to ask me, when should I take the leap? I don't want to tell them when, because I don't want to be responsible in case it, it doesn't work. But you've got to know yourself when, when there's a chance to try and go for it. Because you know, everyone that's everyone that's writing and has the day job still. And I can remember it's just, you end up, you're sort of killing yourself. You're working two things very hard. You can only do that for so long, in some ways. Yeah. I think if you're really going at it full tilt, so there's a there's a time to try and put all as much of that energy into the into the one thing, not so much that you can write more, but just that you can balance it a bit, you know, so you can actually get a life back and get to the gym more again and stuff like that, and and yeah. make it work, but make a whole life out of it rather than trying to sort of desperately sort of get squeeze out the sides. So there's everyone's probably got that critical point in their, in their career, but it's going to be different for everyone and everyone's going to have to weigh that up. But yeah, you've got to dive in some, at some point.
0: You do, yeah. It's a great model that it sounds like you've created as well and a sort of reliable one that allows you to grow a sort of sustainable business really, isn't it? Like you can keep growing and growing and growing. So could you tell us how you sort of approached the business side of the, the writing?
1: Well, I wish I uh, I don't know if there's much more to say. I mean, I really just try to make the books as good as I can possibly make them. Yeah. And I mean, Songs of Chaos being a big old Dragon Rider epic is clearly, it has its audience. It, not, it has a clear audience that I can talk to about it. Yeah. It's got a little bit of a built in. There's some people that just really love those kinds of books. So if you present something to them that is very well packaged, and has a great blurb and a great title and just sort of sounds like it's really good and it's well put together, they'll give it a go. And then if the book is really good, then they'll talk about it and recommend it. And that's, that's the kind of critical part. So it definitely helps to, and and I like those kinds of stories. I like, I like trying to take those really big mythological epic or sort of the things that can get your heart beating kind of inspire you a little bit Yeah, and just try to, try to find it, but try to find those intersections where I, I can put in the stuff that I like into it. So like, yeah, there's a few darker, there's dark, there are some darker elements, there are some darker characters, etc. But it isn't all light and fluffy and rainbows and far from it. Um, um, especially as the series goes on. But just trying to find that intersection of like, I am happy, I feel a lot of satisfaction in writing these stories. It yeah. also happens to have a, a fairly good Commercial track that you can tap into, which is helpful, if you're inclined to go that way. You know,
2: yeah.
1: I think I think if you're writing something a bit more esoteric, that's great. You just got to know that you've got to be aware that's going to be a little bit harder to get off the ground,
2: and you approach it differently. Um,
0: yeah. Uh, so, so move over towards the writing. So, what kind of um, approach do you take? Do you? Like to focus on your characters, or like you said, just sort of exploring
1: that expansive world is that something? No, characters, characters, characters always first. I mean, it, it's yeah. always a bit of a yin yang sort of thing, but I, I tend to i always start with kind of like you know, with, with songs that started with the main characters, the main two, Hope and Ash, Ash being the blind dragon, hope being the, the cook, the cook's apprentice, and just what would their journey be? What's the you know, following for that first book, Is very much a kind of studying the hero's journey arc and then the. Book two and book three can go off in their own directions, but I start with the characters and I'm like, okay, so in this book, what are the arcs that I need to take them on? What, where am I trying to get them to, and what you know, what they're going to go through first? If I don't have that,
2: yeah, then everything else
1: doesn't really matter. Like sometimes there's a cool plot idea that pops up, but I won't, I won't let it um, get onto the outline unless I can be like, okay, the cool plot element is able to functionally tie into the character's arc in this way. You know, like why is why is this working? Always has to be the character arcs for me. Um, I like to see growth in the characters. I like to see characters that do change. Um, typically they don't typically my characters don't remain static, you know? Like you can write some great characters who are static, trying to think like Superman obviously being the, the classic one, like doesn't change. It's just the same. That kind of episodic thing where the character doesn't change, which is fine. Um, mine tend to change quite drastically so like where hol ash begin in book one by the time you get to the end of book three they feel like different people and i think into four they'll feel like very different people which is yeah. which is why i like i like to see that kind of that the subtle changes where you see people shifting around but they still are acting consistently like themselves they're not it's not a complete 180 you know yeah it's a delicate balance but that's that's what i like definitely yeah how have you found
0: the most effective way of achieving that in your writing, like that character growth? Oh, I don't know. Just do <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: how do how do you, how do you, how do you put
0: that down? How do you so? It's a sort of like a sort. Of, you've got a, a sort of it's the having a connection with the character, isn't it? So you you sort of know how they're going to respond to a sort of a conflicting moments in the story.
1: Yeah, I guess you you have to put them into. They they'll change through the conflict, but they'll also you have to put them into situations where like they're I think their their pre whatever preconceived notions of right and wrong or the world or what you have to challenge their preconceptions yeah. of things. And when they hit up against that, they might not radically change. They might not completely disperse their ideas, but they, they'll they'll take if they take it on board, the next time they're presented with a similar situation, they'll act differently because they've yeah. picked up some experience from before. And I think if you do that, um um, truthfully enough the character will see that they're changing but you don't have to like slap people in the face of it you know you don't have to kind of <laughs> write that in he had changed his mind you yeah. can just show that he's they're changing how they interact just because of those experiences they've run into you know yeah like, i mean a big one for a big one for Holt in the beginning of the, i mean it's a big it's definitely a coming of age story for books one two three and at the end of book three the kind of coming of age thing is very much wrapped for them which i'm excited by because i think it'll be really cool going into four a bit more hardened um yeah but Holt begins thinking that being a dragon rider is that the best thing ever it would be so amazing because you can do whatever you want you're free you've got a dragon you've got magic that's amazing he's just cleaning pots in the kitchens all day long getting blisters on his hands you know and wrinkly fingers he he just thinks being a rider would be the best thing ever He isn't really thinking about the horrors of it because they have to fight these you know uh, this like scourge zombie bug army sort of stuff that's kind of like the big existential threat that they fight he doesn't think about what they have to do in terms of all the horrible fighting he doesn't think about all the really hard decisions they have to make about who lives and who dies if they are put in that position where who did they save and who did they not save all the responsibility that comes with it by the end of that book he's had a taste of it and he's like oh yeah it's not so rosy yeah (laughs) <laughs> right, that, but you have to put him through the ringer a little bit, so he's still kind of, still he's still himself, but he's kind of like the, Oh, my! Um, what I thought, what I thought the world was like is not quite like that. Yeah, I think the same. Make them change. You have to, you have to present them with um, things a like, like you yeah, go and against your GDL, bit like you and your GDL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, well I went into that, I didn't really, I, that was me zombie, zombie walking into something without really thinking about it, it's slightly different. But yeah. uh, I know, it's, it's a young age to try and work out what the hell you want to do with the rest of your life.
0: It's it's incredible the pressure on people's shoulders. Like I, d- I was a lawyer for a few years and then decided I didn't like it. So it's just, you've got to try things, haven't you? And it's only when you learn what you don't like that you force yourself to discover what you do actually like. So. So there's a good, uh, we, we always get a good amount of questions on world building. So okay. always ask writers how they approach creating worlds and how to
1: avoid things like info dumps. You got any tips for us? Um, I mainly avoid info dumps by not actually knowing a huge amount about the world myself. So I'm not a massive world builder. Yeah, because like the stories are there to service the characters. And I will build as much as I need to and not really too much more because I think yeah. I would dump in stuff if I knew too much. Yeah. Cause there is a definite, if you know a lot, it's definitely a skill to be like, tear it back, pair it back. I'm actually working on the, um, polishing up a novella of the series right now. That was just a sort of freebie on the mailing list, but it was a little rush. But now that I've written more of the books in the series, I'm now having to be like, oh, I need to watch how much I put into this, and you know what I mean. Okay. Um, so, I before before writing, when it comes to like the the outlining stage, where I know there's going to be really important elements, I will build those out a little bit before, but let everything else just kind of be, and I'm quite happy to kind of sprinkle stuff in as I go, so long as it's kind of just hinting at stuff that you know wouldn't. I wouldn't, I'm not trying to lock myself in so I would end up contradicting myself. Yeah. But just kind of do that hint thing where you're hinting to the iceberg, but the iceberg isn't really there. Um, but the stuff that I know is going to be important, I will build out. And if you give, and then I give that quite a lot of depth. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Robin Hood quote where like, if you, if you, if you absolutely nail all the horse lore, then we'll believe you when you tell me about the dragons. Right. So if you yeah. get, if you get a few things done very well, people will kind of believe that the rest of it is that well done, even if it isn't, Yeah, that's what helps create that illusion. So nice. like for songs, I knew that the sort of cooking magic system would be quite important. So I kind of built that out before, um, you know, the different, I knew that the magic system was going to be very important. So I developed that quite um, firmly beforehand. And that's a big part of the book, but stuff about like, what other kingdoms are in the world, what other nations are in the world, what other cultures are in the world. For book one, that really wasn't important. So they just got some names yeah. and that was about it. And it was only really for book two that I had to think about them a bit more and then book three, think of them, about them even more. And now that's all established, but I just did it as I went, as I needed it to. to. I wasn't sitting there pre- prior to book one. Thinking yeah. of the nations that are like on the other side of the world that we don't meet until book four, it's not, it's just not relevant. So I didn't, I didn't burden myself with, with knowing that stuff. So I couldn't yeah. possibly have put it in. So I couldn't possibly have info dumped it in because I didn't know. Um, nice. so yeah, I guess it's like, it's the, um, yeah, faking the iceberg, right? Or oh, right. where you're trying <laughs> to the tip of the iceberg. There yeah. isn't really an iceberg under the surface at all. Um, there's as much as I need. Um, yeah it's it really
0: because we've only got so much time and writing takes up a lot of it and then having to build a world in great depth on top of that is is too much so just build what you need isn't it get on with the writing
1: well the, some people love world building that's great i mean you've you got to do you got to do it the way that you find passionate about it but i
2: yeah
1: i find i if i just sit there and think about oh what kind of cool world Building stuff, it doesn't really come to me. I kind of need to know what the story. I, I need to kind of know what the story purpose is, and that comes back to the characters. So, like, just making up this nation in the world and making up a, some cultural relevant, some cultural stuff, some language stuff, some history. If the character isn't going there, and it's not relevant. I, my brain just doesn't like to just make stuff up like that. I just sort of don't. I don't get tons of pleasure out of just world building for for the sake of world building. But some people do, and that's great. So you yeah. just have to, if you're, if you're off, if you're like that, you just have to be very aware not to just info dump more than, you know, the excess. But if you're like me, the trick is there's not a lot to info dump. So you, you get away, <laughs> the, <laughs> the trick, the trick is really, you've got to make sure that what you are putting in is, is very well thought out because I think then people will trust that you know more than you actually do. Nice, fantastic bit of advice.
0: And <laughs> um, what uh, challenges have you faced with your writing? Um, any aspect of your career, really, um, and what, how, what have you done to sort
1: of overcome it and break down the walls? If we're, if we're talking about actual like craft, I think in yeah. was pretty hard because, I'm, because as you say, there is all this stuff that I'd hinted at before that I had to then make up. and In particular, like the way that the the power system works, there was kind of like this very strict hierarchy of powerful characters, and by book three, it was kind of like I couldn't keep putting off these characters not being involved in what was going on. And there's quite a lot of them. So I had to deal with all these people and dragons. And there was, you know, eight, eight of them who kind of have to be acknowledged and they have to, you have to know what they're doing and why. And uh. so it was like, I had, I had suddenly eight and it all needs to be, it all needs to work into the story because I can't just ignore these people anymore. Yeah. Um, It won't, it won't be true. So that was very difficult because it just sort of blew up the size of the cast and the amount of stuff I had to think about. And in the end, I was I was considering adding just one additional POV for this book, which was like one of the, the head of the Dragon Rider Order. And he has kind of four co- colleagues that are at his level, kind of equals, but he's like the first amongst equals. Um, and I realized that I kind of had to show at least the POVs of two, two of the others, because a lot was going to be, I had what they were doing mapped out, but it was all kind of off screen to, to this, um, to the leader. And it just wasn't going to work. It just wasn't going to work. Like there'd be a lot of chapters of him being worried about what they're doing. Uh, and then we, the, you know, the reader would be like, well, what are they doing? And yeah, you know, if you want to make it a mystery, that's fine but they would just sort of pop back in at the very end of the book and it would just be really weird and rushed. So I felt like, you no, know, I've got to show what they are doing, those two. So, so now I've added in three new POVs to the story, which is a lot of POVs to add in. Oh, they had four, and I got seven. Um, but the way I got, the way I decided to get around that initially was just kind of, I would cluster, because those three new POVs were so interlinked, generally speaking, when they had chapters, each of them, it was like a chapter where I showed all three of them in kind of very short scenes, back to back. So I'd show one of them, flip to the other one, flip to the other one. So I stand the yeah. chapter would have three POV's in it rather than just the one, and they would be shorter scenes, and they would be sort of They were scattered through the book a bit, sort of semi infrequently, nice. and I felt that worked best rather than having these big rather than trying to cause it, yeah the gaps between the. The different POVs are already getting quite long. I couldn't just add in these big chunky things. I thought I'll yeah. just I'll kind of mush them into segments and and, and flip more, and that worked. I thought that worked. I mean, some people won't yeah. like it. Some people don't like it when you add POVs in. There's always a there's always a small percentage that they just hate when new <laughs> POVs come into the story, you know, in book three or four of a, of a big series. But I had to show these guys. had to know what they were doing, and I think there's a lot of elements that really benefit from seeing it, especially in a reread. Definitely. Uh but yeah, I was I was quite happy with that solution. Like rather than yeah, just just be happy to write shorter scenes, flip over, flip back, kind of cutting a lot more as if it was a movie in some yeah. ways, like cutting away, being more confident just to cut away when the scene ends, rather than trying to cumbersomely extend it to make a full chapter sort of in quotes just because you feel like you need a whole POV chapter. Just no, just yeah. go. Just go. Just cut, go to the next person. Cut again. Go to the next person. Keep keep the long chapters for your main guys. That's fine.
0: Yeah.
1: That's so. Well, that's that's how I felt. I overcame that one. That was that was the, and that whole book was so massive. Like it took me ages. It, it was three hundred thousand words, which I managed to cut down to two hundred and fifty thousand words. Nice. Um, so there was a lot of fat in it. Well, it was fifty thousand words of just sheer fat because if I read it now, I don't think anything's missing. So there was just a lot of fat. there It's a very difficult book. Um, yeah. I'm hoping the fourth one is not as difficult because. Uh, spoilers, some of those POVs start dying. So it makes <laughs> <laughs> makes my life easier. <laughs> I can yeah. start removing them from the story. Um, d- desperation there. But <laughs> yeah. I think I think I've become a bit more comfortable now with the idea of just doing a scene.
2: Yeah.
1: And just cut there and then go somewhere else. And it might some people I it may find it shoppier, but I think it's gonna help flow a little easier. Because you know those, because you write as well, Rich, you right? You you know, those, those transition scenes, those scenes where you have to stitch two scenes together, can be really yeah. hard, really clunky and cumbersome. Right? I mean, you just yeah. you you've naturally come to a nice stop, but you feel like you have to keep going with this chapter somehow. Or, or and you just have this, you just have these paragraphs of kind of waffle way of getting them out, in and out of a room or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know. I think we can do away with that. Just, just end it. Just do away with it. Yeah. Just end it. It's just this arbitrary that we have to have these big blocky chapters that are kind of like. Almost like reminiscent of the 90s style of real time and Game of Thrones, and everything where each chapter was just one big block and you never flipped ever. Yeah. But I don't see why that needs to be the case. I think we can flip more. It could be like cinematic.
0: a bit of a collection of scenes, really, isn't it? So you just jump from scene to scene and in between. doesn't really matter, does it? It's not that important.
1: No, I mean, there's a limit, right? You only do it every two seconds. It would be annoying, <laughs> but you know, I think. I think being willing to, if you've got multiple POVs, I think being willing to intercut between them more often, I think, I think, yeah. be, I think it's interesting. It can add to the suspense so Famous well. last words, famous last words.
0: <laughs> when you've got them um, different POVs as well, and especially when they're all following different storylines, then it can add to the suspense and the tension because you can just drop off there, pick up on another one, leave you, leave that character in a bit of a cliffhanger, move on to another one, leave them in a bit of a cliffhanger, back to the other
1: and you just constantly... Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like how a movie would do it. The movie would end with a kind of a, oh, where is where is she looking off? And then it would cut over to where is she is, and you see her in you. Rather than if it's all... I mean, it obviously depends on how you're writing the your story, but, I, you know, multiple POV, big book like this, I'm quite happy to think, yeah, I'm going to make it like a big epic movie. We're going to cut away. We're going to show stuff. We're going to do the whole thing. We're going to have one-off guest POVs occasionally. We're going to do the whole thing because if I just stick to one pair of eyes the whole time. There are some readers that want me just to stick to Holt the entire time, which is fine. But there's no way he can see the whole story. Yeah. So you'd have to jump through weird hoops. It's a bit like in Harry Potter where like Harry, people just turn up and tell Harry information sometimes. You're like, this is just to give Harry this information because he, he <laughs> he's not seen the thing and it's like sometimes you're like yeah. you wouldn't just tell the character that, but fair enough. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I love well, that, that was challenging to define. Them. I just scattered them in, especially yeah, just, like, uh, you just go for it. I, I first novel I wanted to show that the the main antagonist was an evil, sadistic bastard because a few chapters before that I introduced his POV, and yeah, he's a bit likable, <laughs> so I just wanted <laughs> to show everyone that he's actually a bit of a bastard. So I introduced um just this young. Um, sort of seaman who is—it's like a, a battle um involving these sea forts, and he's one of the defenders. And uh, it's just from his perspective as these sort of like mercilessly, mercil- like kill everybody, and he's there at the very end, and you see him. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. It just breaks it up when you're writing a novel that long as well. You can't just write it from the same person's point of view. You just get a bit bored (laughs) even
1: the reading reading needs a bit yeah I I, think so well again it will depend on who you are but I naturally find because I I focus so tightly on these character arcs I find that actually I mean short of maybe the actual main characters who who tend to have more words just because they overlap with everyone else they usually meet everyone else at some point so that they naturally just have more screen time that way but I tend to find that these character arcs in a book will be you know, 40 to 50k, maybe maybe a little longer, maybe 60k each be- max, because any more than that, it, it might not, it might not feel very well paced, especially if you've got to do four four POVs and then you do four POVs at 60k, roughly speaking, there you are at 240 already in terms of word count, which is a huge word count. So, yeah. um, I, I don't know if I could sit with one, just one character for 200,000 words. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I wouldn't. I feel like I wouldn't because I feel like I would I'd be trying to keep the art quite tight.
0: It'd be tough. Let's just say that. It'd
1: be tough. There's, there's name of the wind fans out there saying you can write one character.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. And um, so we were actually met a few years ago, didn't we?
0: At FantasyCon, Con and we were on a panel about book marketing. And uh, I was really enjoying what you were saying That's back right. then. And um before we finished, I just wanted to ask you about um marketing, because again, we get a lot of questions about it. People are just desperate to find readers and that is the biggest challenge. I get their book before readers. So how, how have you managed to do it over the years? Have you got any sort of tips to
1: share? Um, well, so much of all of this depends on whether you're trad or indie and then your genre. So I can only speak for being an indie epic fantasy author. Yeah, which is a very peculiar niche. A lot, I would say if you're writing epic fantasy or high fantasy, or that kind of adjacent stuff. At the moment, I don't really write the digital ads very well. I don't think they work very well anymore. If they ever did, if you know, if you're a crime writer, a romance writer, etc, Facebook, these things are still brilliant, because the markets are just so much bigger, so yeah. many more readers. Um, I think they've got a different style of picking up books, those kind of readers, whereas I feel more of the epic fantasy crowd are are much harder to um, entice. Um, it can be hard to get them to give you a chance, but if you get them to give you a chance and they like you, then they're typically more loyal than a crime thriller reader who's reading through tons and, tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff. Yeah. So it can be definitely a case of pushing a boulder up a hill a little bit, but I think once you get get a bit of momentum in epic fantasy, it rolls a little more smoothly, but you know, everyone's my own, just going to vary there. So I don't, I don't hugely recommend going, blowing money into Facebook ads. I mean, I really think, I really think they're completely screwed. I've used all kinds of affiliate tracking on them in the past and the the data is really disturbingly bad. So I would, <laughs> you know, you can try, but I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't, if anyone's saying to you spend thousands on Facebook, I'd be like, we'll, we'll take, test it out if you like, but I don't think it works very well. I think Amazon ads um do work but they don't really scale so you usually find some kind of sweet spot and you kind of keep it on as like life support if you want to yeah but like i I mean if i if amazon just let me scale it like you know if my if your budget's a hundred dollars and it's working well i would just go oh, like two hundred dollars which is double that and double the results no no once you you if you try to like scale it it just falls over yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for some for some reason it's very linked to the actual algorithm. So like, and it and books on Amazon ads tend to only really I've noticed that they tend to only really work well if the book itself is already quite popular and quite hot. Yeah. So it's like the algorithm is they kind of linked in a little bit, which is unfortunate because you know some folks who are str- if their book's struggling a little, they go into Amazon ads and they can't get it to go at all. And I think that's partly because the the system goes well. I'm not going to push a book that isn't selling. Yeah and so it doesn't push it and then it becomes self-fulfilling of course but i do think that's part of the problem but even if they even if you can get it to work it doesn't scale super well so you can get it to work to a point and then that can be part of your background activity if you want it to be and that's fine um so i mean at the moment i'm trying to do more outreach to booktubers reviewers influencers like when i started in 2016 essentially that was like a no go like you as an indie author you were just the door was shut in your face yeah. the minute you emailed in the landscape has changed a lot and i didn't really appreciate how much it had changed until even like last year it was about last year when i really noticed that no actually a lot of these folks are much more willing to read indie even champion it to some extent um yeah. that's a complete change that's a complete sea change because trust me when we started that was not the case it's com- the landscape has completely changed so i've tried to re- get back into that game a bit more which is a long game they've got a lot they've got very heavy schedules these guys yeah. um so if, you, if you're fortunate enough and they accept your book just be patient you know they'll get to it at some point it's not going to be when you want it to be that's okay um just hope that they enjoy it and if if things pay off it's going to be a kind of long game there as they kind of it's if someone likes it and they review it and it's good someone else will think oh i should get to that i remember i have that and so on and so forth. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a long game. Um, but that's why I'm trying to focus some attention there. Um, obviously the, there's a bit of a craze for special editions, people jumping on Kickstarters and things like that. Um, it might already be saturated, like it probably will be saturated if it isn't already, but the people seem to get sort of fairly steady. People seem to get a fairly steady number of backers. And certainly having those editions out there gets a lot more eyeballs on your book. So like people show them off, they're more likely to show them off and then you'll be noticed more. So if you're in the position where you're able to think about doing a special edition, maybe via a Kickstarter, um, that can that can work out. That could that could be one way of thinking about getting uh, some more attention on your stuff. Um, But really, I mean, I think what I said in that marketing panel two years ago still applies, like, there's no magic button there's no magic button you can push that's like sell more books or get more views on your book it's just like you've got to start at the basics of like first of all is the book got a pre is, is there a big audience for what you're writing that always helps and then have you nailed it as best as you can have you worked it into your fingers are bleeding and it's like the best story you can possibly write and then have you got like a really amazing cover have you worked as the blurb really compelling is the title good? Because sometimes the title, sometimes people have odd titles yeah. on an odd title with an odd cover. It just, you know, it's, it's, it's cliche, but the, the packaging is so important. You've got, you know, people decide within like six seconds if they're going to click on it, right? Or something. Yeah. Or even less, right? you've got to just give them like that sense of, ooh, that looks interesting. Ooh, that sounds good. Ooh, I'll maybe give it a go. But even then, like, <laughs> as I say for epic fantasy, it's like ooh that looks good, ooh that looks interesting, ooh I'll wait until it's finished, which is yeah, <laughs> which is another battle. Oh. Um, but you just start start with the book, get the book really good, as good as you can. Get the packaging really good, put it out there. If you've done your work there, I think and and you've put the right keywords in, and it's the correct keywords. So if you've written an epic fantasy and you put the right kind of keywords, in and then you signal the right stuff. Honestly, the systems will try to sell it for you initially. But if you've missed if you've mispackaged and mismarketed it in that sense, then it won't, you know, Amazon will not find the right readers. And so you've got to kind of give it that helping hand to get going. Um, but if you're just starting and you don't have the budget, don't worry about Facebook ads, don't worry about Amazon ads. Don't spend money you don't have. Just keep producing really good stuff. Do stuff that's a bit more free. You know, seeing if people take your ebooks to review, people understand yeah um and just just do the diligent stuff and and growing your socials wisely so mailing list always important i really value discord now i think i I wish i'd set a discord server up sooner i think it's been really great um works really well you get a lot of engagement people will talk to you people will talk to each other they do like you know spoiler discussions and all sorts of stuff they there's a group in my discord that plays dungeons and dragons with each other so it's much more of a community builder, yeah. um, which I think is really really cool. Um, so if you like Discord, if you know what that is, you can start a Discord server, and it's free, which is brilliant. And you know, you could put a permanent link up on your website, and people will trickle in. But pick, you know, pick the socials that work for you. If you don't like one, don't bother with it. You know, if you hate TikTok, don't use TikTok. Just stick to the ones that you like, and just be good at one one or two things first before you try to do everything because, you know, don't spread yourself so thin. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Really. Just keep working on putting out good books. So uh, that's, um, yeah, that was quite a lot.
0: That was brilliant. Thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been a fantastic chat and I've uh, always learned a lot listening to you, Michael. So thank you very much for giving up your time. I love talking shop. So anytime. <laughs> anytime at all. What's the best place to, to look to learn about you and your books?
1: My best place, I think, is just to go to the website, which is www.michewatermiller.co.uk. Everything's on there, links to all the socials, links to that aforementioned Discord server also there. Get, get everything from there.
0: There you go, thank you very much again. It's, it's been brilliant chatting with you and uh, I look forward to seeing you at FantasyCon later this year.
1: Yeah, I look forward to it, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be really fun.
0: Thanks very much for listening, everyone. A big thank you, Michael for giving up your time, especially in the middle of book launch time. I know it's a, an awfully busy time for, for writers. So thank you very much. And I hope you enjoyed that listening at home. There's lots of fantastic insights there. And it's a, a fantastic example of what you can do if you manage to crack the code and you can, you can go it alone and board a really successful career. So yeah, inspiration to us all. If you enjoyed this episode, do subscribe or follow the show. That way you're not going to miss any future episodes. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating on the Spotify mobile app or a review on iTunes goes an awful long way. And um, So thank you if you have done that. If you'd like to join our writing community, you can do so by clicking the link in the description. You can get help with beta reads. Get uh, As I said before, you can get help with your opening lines. And you can just chat with fellow writers and make friends with people from all around the world quick reminder that our next episode will be on the 28th of October and it's going to be a spooky one we're going to be looking at monsters and some of my favorite monsters as well so I think it's a it's a, a great way to end this uh, very long run series like I said we'll be back in the new year so we won't be away for too long so until the 28th of October keep on scribbling